The number one BS idea is that you're not meant to feel fear. No, fear is amazing. You should love your fear. It's like it keeps you alive. It's something that is just like the most beautiful feedback to you of what is it the very thing that you should be doing. Are you scared of this? Great. This is your medicine. Welcome to Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? I'm Emily Fletcher, and I believe that bliss is your birthright. That's why I'm calling on my world-class network to uncover the most potent, spine-tingling, even taboo healing modalities, all so you can reclaim your bliss. Let's do this. If you have ever felt like fear has kept you from doing something that you want, then today's episode is for you. Aggie moved to America, broke as an immigrant from Poland, and she has gone on to become an author, an influencer. She has over a million followers on Instagram. She is bringing biohacking to the rest of us. She has been on Dancing with the Stars. She went on an 11-month sailing trip with zero prior experience, and she jumps out of perfectly good planes for fun. And I'm so excited for you to learn how she manages to reframe her fear in a way that helps her break out of some deep childhood programming, which is something that I think all of us could use. So enjoy the episode, and I'm excited to hear what you think. I just know her as Aggie, because on Instagram, she's one of the few people that actually just has her first name as her handle, where she has built a beautiful, loyal following of people that were originally interested in travel. And then you just keep blowing our minds again and again by breaking through barriers, your own barriers, your own fears, trying on new things. Every time I tune in, I'm also, I follow very few people on Instagram the way that I follow you. So I feel like I really deeply know you. But every time I look, it's like, oh, now you're skydiving. Oh, I'm sorry. Now you're like on Dancing with the Stars. I was on Broadway for 13 years. Not a mm-hmm. chance when I go on Dancing with the Stars. I'd be too afraid. And you were like, oh, going to face Ignorance this Ignorance is a bliss. I had no <laughs> idea what I was getting myself into. You know how hard it would be. Yeah. Uh, also, I, I know that in the past few years, I see you like deepening your spiritual work. I see mm. you like really going in and facing the big dark emotions and it feels like it's just opened up this bigger level of magic and magnetism and now you've started the higher self academy you're starting the biohacking bestie podcast and so the thing that I want to know from you because the thing that I see you doing again and again and again is facing your fears conquering your fears like going into the belly of the beast and doing something new proving yourself wrong proving other people wrong like mm. oh you dismiss me as this like hot Barbie travel log, travel <laughs> blogger I'm gonna show you I'm gonna start this business and this business and it feels so inspiring and simultaneously mm. like you're really balancing your masculine and feminine energy but the thing I want to know is why isn't everyone conquering their fears the way that yeah. you do and can you share this key with us well, thank you first of all thank you for having me good luck on the podcast I know it will reach the right people and I think you bring that feminine I literally had a conversation with our friend Vailana the other day and I'm like we need more women in the podcast space that are having these beautiful deep conversations from like beautiful feminine energy that Mm. they bring into. And so thank you for paving the way. Mm. Definitely not enough women. And I am here every step of the way just to cheer you on and see it succeed and be the number one because you so deserve it because you really are who you are on social media, in person and even more, which Mm. is very rare. So thank you for having me. I feel super honored. My pleasure. Oh, my pleasure. Oh, my uh, pleasure. <laughs> yeah. It, it sounds so different when you say it because oh. I know that. <laughs> uh, well, so many great questions, right? So I think number one, you know, when it comes to like conquering your fears, I think the way I have approached what scares me the most has changed over the years. So I used to conquer it, right? I used to come at it with a very masculine energy of something that I need to destroy, like conquering, mm. like, you know, like you conquer a city, right? Like it's, you're at war with somebody and you just use all the force and power and everything that you can to to override how you feel, aka the fear, and then you somehow feel like you shouldn't be feeling it and then you kind of conquer it and you're you're good. And while this is a great strategy, uh, it's very masculine and like served me to an extent. And now I say I dance with my fear mm. because I love it. I love my fear. Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna dance with my fear uh-huh. because the number one BS like idea is that you're not meant to feel fear. No, fear is amazing. You should love your fear. It's like it keeps you alive. It's something that is just like a, the most beautiful feedback to you of what is 
What is it the very thing that you should be doing? Are you scared of this? Great. This is your medicine to reach the next level. Okay. So, so say more, like when you say, I love my fear, is it because of that? It's because it's pointing you to your medicine. Yeah. So I used to think that like, oh, if I'm afraid of skydiving, I should stay away from it because that means that I'm probably not going to be good at it. I also didn't trust myself that I'm going to open a parachute. Like when people are like, oh, you're skydiving. Like, well, I wouldn't know. There's too much to remember so I wouldn't know what to do when and I'm probably going to kill myself I'd rather go with somebody else aka outsource my power and the like response the tandem yeah mm-hmm. but it's true for all the areas of life right I would trust other people I would trust a doctor instead of just like taking my health my life um and the responsibility into my own hands and be like no fuck it I'm actually just gonna figure it out myself can we swear yeah okay great give it, give it to us <laughs> too late uh and so yeah so that was like a like a big realization like I no longer want to compare my fear now when I am afraid of something whether it's a difficult conversation whether it's starting a podcast or coming on one it's like oh I know that this is my medicine to reach my higher self to reach the next level I think life is a computer game and you just go through like different levels and once you passed a test of like oh she can carry one fear you get like a little point and the coin and then go straight. New superpower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like mer- do, 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 do. Mm-hmm. And so I, yeah, I really feel like this is, this is my path to my higher self through mm-hmm. fear, like literally the very thing. So whatever that is for you, first of all, love the fact that you're afraid of it. Second, dance with it. And there is a very, the difference between anxiety, aka fear and excitement is the mindset, right? It's the same uh, biological, um, chemistry happening in your body so I often realize that every time I feel like I'm anxious I'm actually just like it's excitement plus fear and fear comes from the wrong mindset so I realized that like oh I actually there's nothing to be afraid of because everything's perfect so that really helps me now I'm more excited about things and so two questions first how do you differentiate like oh this is this is a fear that is my medicine. This is something Mm. that if I face, I get to go to another video game versus like nature protecting you or like an aversion or like that's a boundary that's not for me. How do you tell the difference between those two things? Very good question. I think it's, uh, there's different kinds of fears. So for example, I think, when I think of something that like I still haven't concurred would be base jumping. Like this is something that I'm like still like, What is base jumping exactly? Base jumping is like when you jump off um, a, a rock or a mountain and it's like proximity flying. So you, you probably see the squirrel guys. Like the yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So that's like the death rate is like 50%. Uh, almost. Wow. Yeah. So that's wow. really scary. So I'm like, obviously like, I'm like, Oh, I'm not ready yet. And there's a level of like, it doesn't resonate with me. So like, I don't really miss it. But with skydiving, there was something about that fear that I felt triggered by. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a fear that I felt like, Oh, whatever. Like with base jumping, I'm like, oh, cool. Like I'm happy for people with skydiving. I was like, it's not me. And it was that like little voice of like, oh. What if? What if? Like why? And what has been the most med- amazing medicine for me is hanging out with a lot of skydivers and them feeling absolutely zero fear on the plane. So I'm like, on oh, my first uh, jump and you basically sit a whole day in a classroom and your first jump is totally by yourself. You get what do you to- mean by yourself? Like you're not on someone else's body, no. just you jumping out of the plane. Your first jump. Yeah, your first by jump. By yourself. Yeah. <sighs> so like that's the fine print I didn't realize. I thought you do a tandem, but no, you basically get two instructors. They hold on to you, but you have to jump out by yourself and you have to do everything by yourself. The moment you pull your parachute, you're on your own. You have to land by yourself as well. And so you have a little theory. So you imagine you sign up, you're like, I'm like, okay, finally, I'm going to do it. I go to a class. So I did my license in Dubai. So for about eight hours, you have a one-on-one class when they explain about hundred days you, ways you can die skydiving. <laughs> so it was like, yeah, that's all they do. That's the theory. Just go right if you don't, the- if you don't pull it, you're going to die. If you don't do this, you're going to die. If you don't do that, you're going to die. Like it's like one after the other, they explain everything. And so I went, I'm like, yeah, this is great to like, I literally left the class crying. I was like, I don't think I can do it. This is like crazy. Like I, I've never taken so much responsibility for my life, but that's a beautiful metaphor because ever since I started skydiving, it translated in so many beautiful things in my life. So the next day you wake up at six, you go to the drop zone and you know, they dress you in this like special 
jumpsuit, um, you know, skydiving jumpsuit, and you're the last one on the plane because you're a student. So you see 20 people in front of you smiling, which was so fucking annoying. I'm like, how <laughs> dare they smile? Can they see I'm stressed? <laughs> And it was so, you know how you're like really miserable. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna vomit. Somebody. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, I'm like, oh, so loud. Just no, no, no. So then I see them coming out, and I couldn't even look at them falling out of the plane because it was just so scary. Because obviously you're programmed that if someone's falling out of the plane, probably not <laughs> not the, the best situation to be in. So I couldn't even look at them. I would just like turn my head around. I would just waited. He's like, okay, we're going to go. I'm like, okay, I'm going to jump. And so my instructor was like, make sure you have your eyes open. And I'm like, I can't, I'm just, I have to jump. It was too scary to look. So I jumped and then you fall and it's like so scary. And then you pull your parachute and then the tears of gratitude and the tears of like, it is just me and mother nature. And I'm hanging about 6,000 feet above, you know, the planet earth and just watching it and flying like a bird. And I was like, wow the fear would almost take away this experience from me Uh. and I get to do it again and again and again like 300 times later I still get if I haven't skydived for a month and I go again I literally cry every time I pull my parachute like what a miracle like Uh. I dreamed about flying and I get to do that and there's so many ways to keep skydiving safe and not say that things don't happen but as like with everything it's actually not as dangerous of a sport the more you get to know it. So it's usually that that's what happens with you. We're afraid of things we don't understand mm-hmm. and we don't know. So that was like a beautiful metaphor for me to give myself permission, uh, to give myself permission to take extreme ownership of my life, on my circumstances and just acting from a place of like the main character of my own life mm-hmm. instead of like jumping on someone's back. And, you know, like I think it's a metaphor for life. Are you tandeming I don't know if it's a word but are you doing a tandem of your life are you just piggybacking as codependency on someone else's success right whether it's your partner or whether it's you know you don't know what to do with your life so you're going to hold on tandem to your child because you can't find your purpose right because mm-hmm. or you're going to say fuck it I'm going to take an extreme ownership I'm going to channel channel the main character energy into my life and be like I'm just going to do it I'm going to do it myself and I trust myself that I'm going to be okay mm. I see that happening for you in so mm. many areas, like internally with your spiritual work. I see you doing it with your with your physiology through the biohacking. I see you doing it in, in business and yeah. in your relationships, in your homes. So I'm curious to know, like, has this always been a piece of you? Like, I know you grew up in Poland. I know mm. it was a really like intense situation leaving Poland. I know that yeah. you um, have had tough relationships you sailed across the pacific so it seems like from the outside in it feels like you've always been someone who's conquered your fears but i imagine that that's not the case like i'm sure there's like a scared little girl aggie in Mm. there so like how talk to me about how you went from like scared little girl aggie to like this this like warrior oh she's there she's sitting right in front of you Uh i think it was just like so many projections of my culture of my family that was keeping me really terrified so i'm actually a very fearful person people never get that from me but i'm afraid of everything but i just that itch and that deeper knowing that i'm capable of more doesn't let me sit still right and that Mm. feeling of like the i call it the higher self the voice inside of me that says you can do this you got this right and now the science like came up with the study that positive self-talk and telling yourself that you can do this can actually conquer your fears but at the end of the day it's like yeah you're but not if you know you're lying yeah you know i mean you could do i mean i guess you could fake it till you make it but like if you know you're lying you're like Mm. i can do this i can do this i can do this but if you don't mean it if you don't believe it if you don't feel it then it takes probably Mm. a lot to get 100%. 100%. Mm-hmm. I think it was beautiful. I, I'm not so recent, but during one of my ayahuasca journeys, I had this ayahuasca showed me every single excuse I ever came up with to sabotage my success and my growth. And it started from being from Poland, from a poor family, uh, from being, you know, short, English being not my first language. I mean, the list was so long. It was incredible. And I always suggest, oh, this time because I'm, I was too young first, then I'm too old. Then I'm like not skiing enough, whatever the story I was telling myself. And she showed me, she's like, you know, they just keep coming up until you realize that these are just stories that you don't have to engage in anymore. Mm. Right. And is it keeping you small and it doesn't make you feel expansive? And I realized how I'm like really choosing to engage in those stories that 
did no longer serve me. They never did, maybe to a degree, but I, I know that fearful Aggie is still there and I have so much empathy for her mm. because there is a part of her that feels like she needs to be a big dude to, you know, to be uh, brave instead of a little girl. And I'm really tiny. Uh, you can't really see it on camera or on the podcast. Uh, and so, yeah, like you said something about the energy of proving. And I think maybe at the beginning I was trying to prove it to other people, but that just is very short-sighted. It's very ego-driven. And I now, no, I'm not really like trying to prove it to myself as more so just remembering the feeling of the unlimited possibilities and how good they taste when you actually realize that they're there mm. and they're all available for you if you stop engaging those boring stories that keep you small but I'm like mm, so delicious when I think I get to do everything I want yeah I feel like when, when you were telling the skydiving story and when you like I could feel the fear in my body I felt like I mm. was jumping out of the plane and then when you said you pull the cord and everything stops it feels like you're flying and your tears. Like I feel like I could feel that mm. in my body. And I feel like I'm, I'm imprinting that now. Because for me, one of the things that makes me the most scared is having um, difficult conversations, like engaging mm. in conflict or hurting someone's feelings. Like it actually feels like death for me. So I grew up and my dad was an amazing man, a brilliant man and a very angry man he's very sad and very mm -hmm. angry and so he drank a lot and so when he would drink his like temper was super volatile and so I actually like grew up thinking that you know he would like he was so angry that my mom had this story it's like kind of intense and dark but here we go she had the story I was like why don't you leave like why don't you leave why don't you leave and she was like well I don't know what your dad is capable of Oh, wow. Like that was the story she would say on repeat if we leave I don't know what your dad is capable of and so I grew up thinking that if we leave that he would kill us. And so I actually wired wow. in my nervous system that conflict equals death. Wow. Like, like, and, and rightly so, right? If this is what your, take, you know, your parents tell you. Yeah, like little Emily believed that. And it wasn't until like about three years ago that my coach was doing an exercise with me and she's like, you gotta clean up these hauntings. And it was just one conversation. And I, my father passed away, but I asked my mom and I was like, hey mom, do you remember this? And I was like, when you would say that, like, what did you mean? Like, what did you actually think would happen? And I was like, cause just so you know, like what I heard is that he would kill us. And my, and she was like, no, Emily, absolutely not. Your father was never capable of that. He would have never hurt us. And I was like, this was literally news to me at 41 years old. I was like, what? And, and, and I'm so glad that I had the conversation because had I not, I likely would have stayed in that story of conflict equals death, conflict equals death. And then wow. I would have been too scared to change my life, to ask for things that I needed or to even have difficult conversations. So it seems so small and silly, like compared to jumping out of a plane versus mm -hmm. like asking your roommate to like not eat your cheese or something. <laughs> Which, by the way, I, I would find that more stressful than actually jumping out of a plane, right? Yeah, because it's like hurting someone's feelings. And mm. so I just feel like thank you for that imprint because now when I'm feeling that fear of having the conversation, I'm going to picture you like flying through the sky and crying tears of gra gratitude and being like, it tastes so sweet. And it's, it's so always the fear of the thing is harder than the thing. Yeah, so true. And also like it's that assumption that someone can't handle something difficult, right? So it's almost denying them the growth and also feeling like you don't think highly of them enough to handle a difficult conversation, which is right. We're trying to like, it come for me, it was very clear in like my, my relationship. I didn't want to uh, hurt Jacob's feelings, for example. And then I realized I'm like, but like, why am I feeling like he wouldn't be able to handle that? Right. It's almost yeah. like a little condescending for yeah. your male king partner. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause you're like, Oh, I don't think you can handle a difficult conversation. Right. Mm -hmm. And then what happened? And I'm assuming you had it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. constantly. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, but it's such a funny um, preconception that I had that I was somewhat avoiding a difficult conversation is um, avoiding conflict. But the conflict gets bigger without the yeah. difficult conversation. Or you gross. internalize it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like the in, inside conflict. So it's quite so funny. What? So I guess what fear are you most proud of having conquered or danced with? Oh, wow. I think the skydiving one was definitely like up there. And this 
the thing with skydiving is that you basically have to put yourself together for like 15 seconds, like right, just right before, like you can still stay on a plane and don't jump out. Right. So you have that 15 seconds of like, okay, I'm going to actually jump out and just making sure that everything works. And, and then you're good, right? Like you're flying and you forget it. The second you jump out, you're no longer stressed. Mm-hmm. And the one final moment that you are stressed is landing because that's where most deaths actually happen. People think it's when you jump out, but it's actually when you land because it's still quite, there's so many things that can go wrong. But sailing across the Pacific, I just did not have the awareness. I didn't have the tools. I didn't know anything apart from the fact that like my life in Sydney, I lived in Australia, um, you know, it was like making everybody proud, being the perfect girl and like got a corporate job and studied. Like I got my master's in business management, like couldn't be further from what I really wanted to do but Mm -hmm. it just seemed like everyone's like it's such a good idea for you you know an immigrant getting a really difficult degree in another country like this is how you prove to people that you belong you know so I did that right to just say like look I'm actually smart and I might be blonde but I'm smart and I also like was able to do all of these things but I was so miserable and so my then partner when he said like I was like I need to do something anything just not being here like what's out there and he's like well we can go sailing but neither of us ever sailed before neither of us have ever been on a sailboat he's like it's like jumping in a spaceship without ever being on one and so we got a boat on ebay for nine thousand dollars it was like 40 years old it was in mexico we flew to mexico and it's so funny because people are like why did you do it i'm like it's so funny because i knew that it's i can die like Every single person that we would meet, they're like, what you're doing is insane. It's a cyclone season. Your boat is very old. You don't have an EPIRB. You don't have a satellite phone. You have no tools. Like you're Christopher Columbus. You're just going with one GPS. Like you're not even technically allowed to sail like this anymore. You have to have like a raft. And like we didn't have anything. We were just like, if anything goes wrong, we're, we're dead. And so, but that, I was like so desperate to change my life that I would like, willing to risk everything including my life just to change something change the code change the life I was living and I was living so much on an autopilot right which is so funny because autopilot is the one thing we didn't have on a boat (laughs) (laughs) it's like the irony but I lived on autopilot I just I remember uh my I started journaling and I I think I wrote down about seven or eight journals um never journaled before and I said one of the th- very th- first thing I said is like, first of all, I didn't know I was seasick. So I was pu- puking every single oh, day. No. And the first part of the journey was 62 days nonstop out on the ocean. And so it was just the two of us, one person sailing, the other one's like sleeping. Never sailed before. So it's just like everything is moving. I'm like purging. I can't like eat. You've never sailed before. You're no. seasick and you have to do 12 hour shifts ostensibly. Yeah. Or, yeah. Eight or like four. It's usually eight. four and four. Okay. Um, but yeah, I just couldn't fall asleep for like the first seven days because everything was moving and I didn't rest how hard it's going to be. I thought I'm going to shoot myself. But the moment I actually got a hold of a journal, I said like, I don't even know how I feel because every time I hear people describe oh I'm, I like this and I like that they fucking annoy me because I don't have any idea what would make me truly happy and that's like one of the th- first thing I wrote down and so because we never saw each other one person was sailing the other one I came was like you know steering literally hand steering across the ocean and um, went through the craziest storms you know there's this one moment where in the middle of the storm massive waves like we were talking about 30 foot tall waves like hardcore movie shit and so I'm like sitting and I'm steering the boat and all of a sudden I just didn't pay attention turn around and I see a massive wave coming from a side and a wave coming from a side basically almost can mean death because you know the boat has um there's a massive yeah you can capsize really quickly so I was like okay that's it like that was my thought my first thought was like I'm not gonna make it and so the wave came it the, all the cushions I was sitting in were flying off. The light from the mast fell off because it just hit the water. So we basically sideways and turn around. And the water was just filling up the whole cockpit. And I peed myself 
from fear. Wow. And there was water everywhere. Everything's you floating. Saying, but no one ever actually pees themselves. Yeah, that's no, so, like, I did. That moment I did. actually peed yourself. Mm-hmm. What? That's like a new life goal for me. Yeah. I get so scared I pee myself. Yeah, like right there in that moment. And I was like, oh my God, I literally peed myself. I'm sitting in the ocean water. It's freezing. I'm like in my jacket. The harness saved my life. And so I was like, oh my God, I still have to go for maybe two or three days. Because it's like, it's not like, oh, I got scared. I have nothing to change into. And it's just doesn't, it's not going to change. Like we're in a cyclone. Like it's a, it's a a tropical depression. So it was like, there's nowhere to go. And they're like not being able to stop. Like I live in a world where if I don't like something, I can just get myself out of that situation quite quickly. And I couldn't. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. Like, it's just like, it felt disempowering, but at the same time, like not sleeping for three days and like being in those moments when I fought like really one of the biggest oceans, like we survived storms that other boats didn't, like with professional sailors, because we would leave at the same time from New Zealand, go to Australia and the boat that we left with didn't make it. Like Whoa. incredible. Like it was the universe wanting me to live because I had no idea what I was doing. So like the Aggie that left on that trip and that Aggie, how long were you out in total? Uh, 11 months. 11 <laughs> months? Yeah. Okay. So the Aggie that left on that trip and the Aggie that, that finished that trip 11 months later, like wh- what was different? Like who was the person that left and who was the person that finished? Well, that was the end of my relationship because I got married when I was 21 and, you know, I was the perfect wife and just did everything. So this I, was your husband at the time? Yeah. Okay. This husband at the time. And <laughs> I mean, I would divorce someone too if I was sitting <laughs> in a boat with him for 11 months. Oh my God. But it was funny because he was like, oh yeah, now you have to give me your kid. Give me kids, right? Because you, you had your part of the, you had the fun part of life. And I was like, no, I feel like I am a very different person. For the first time in my life, I know what I want. I know what I like. I, I tested myself. So I felt really empowered and that it didn't exactly resonate with him. And he's like, you've changed. I'm like, yeah, you've never seen me empowered. Not because you were keeping me small, but I kept myself small. I was keeping myself small. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he was just like, who the hell are you? And I'm like, I know, like, I'm not, I know I'm not the same person that you, we married. And so I was just like, I, yeah, that basically was the end of our marriage. And I think that was where I moved to LA with Four hundred and fifty dollars, and I was like, I feel like LA is the next move, and the rest is history. Wow, wow! And so it now feels like a big part of your mission to empower people, mostly women, to like step into their full like like anything that's keeping them small, like to step into mm. their deserving power, step into their worthiness. And so, what like what's lighting you up most about what you're doing right now? I think. A lot of us think, a lot of us women think that if we step into our full power, we will lose our partners or our friendships, which it can be true, but it doesn't have to be. I think you can stay in the same relationship because I think there are more and more conscious men that are really, really passionate about seeing their women succeed and grow and thrive. And so all that healthy masculine energy can halt our growth. And that's Mm. really inspiring to me uh, and things are changing. And so my biggest wish for women would be to taste that freedom, taste the power and realize that them stepping to the power doesn't take away the power of their partner and it's not going to take away their relationships. In fact, it's going to make them so much better because you don't come from a place of codependency because you need your husband or you need your partner because he's paying the bills or he can fix something. Because the moment you need somebody... Like that's codependency. Like you mm. just want to be with somebody because you want to love them, right? But you don't really need them. Well, it's such an interesting time, right? Because mm. like gender is changing, sexual identity is changing. So it's like this old paradigm of like one man and one woman and then the masculine provides for the feminine. Like all of this is just getting like blown wide open, yeah. right? Yeah. Which is really exciting because then we get to not so much choose, but I guess discover, right? We get to discover like, where is the masculine and feminine inside of me? Where is my attraction? What type of part is like, there's just a whole new world, which I think requires a level of honesty. And then also a level of like holding both poles inside of ourselves. Yeah. And also like, uh, I think the, the whole power of not labeling things as they are right. And Mm. whether you're 
homosexual or heterosexual or bisexual, or maybe you're something in someone in between bisexual and heterosexual, mm -hmm. right? Like, what is that, right? Like on the spectrum, maybe you're like an 80%, you know? And it's just like having the permission to not identify as anything as yourself mm -hmm. is yeah. so good. Glennon Doyle has an amazing in Untamed, which is also known as my Bible. Um, <laughs> Same. She's this I've read it 10 times, like so mildly obsessed, putting it out there that mm -hmm. Glennon will come on the podcast. I know she never leaves her house, but at some point- she did come on mine so she will she did yeah the first edition yeah oh my gosh she's amazing congratulations yeah so i'll That's just like you, like you just told me that you like met john lennon or like the pope or something <laughs> great i'll let her know to like come on yours for oh, sure yes yes she's the best but she's honestly was like super down to earth so wise so down to earth she's like aggie sister if you need anything i'm here so that's gonna be my first favorite instant manifestation <laughs> yes <laughs> i quote glennon Doyle, like my audience is so tired of me but this is a really great story where she's like you know, we have all of these cups, right? We have like a cup for heterosexual and a cup for homosexual and a cup, a cup for, you know, pansexual and a cup for um, queer and cisgendered. And, and she's like, instead of making more cups and more containers, what if we just recognize that we're all the ocean? Fuck yeah. Like we can't contain the ocean inside of these containers. Exactly, because so it could be a 20% and 30% and 10%. We don't and like, need more cups. We need to all identify yeah. with the everythingness, right? Beautiful. Which is one of the things I think meditation can do for you because you you stop being so in your individuality because every day, twice a day, you're transcending the left brain and stepping into the piece of us that doesn't die, the piece of us that is connected to everyone and everything. Well, so let's go there. Let's go yeah, to meditation. So I want to know, I want to know, like at what point in this journey, right? So like leaving Poland, getting married, mm -hmm. going on this amazing sailing, borderline insane adventure, <laughs> getting divorced, moving to LA with $500 in your pocket, building this whole empire. Where in this timeline did you start meditating? Where did you find Ziva? How did that impact your, like the next chapter of your evolution? Like I want to, I'd love to know like the yeah. Ziva So journey. I never meditated before, but while I was sailing, I realized, I'm like, okay, clearly I have so much time. I might as well try. So that was the, my first experience with meditation. And at the beginning, it sucked and I didn't like it and whatever. And I, I basically tried to look up, sort of like, you know, like you count from one to 10. And, you know, if you just have another thought, then you go back to one, whatever. Uh, keep your eyes half open because when you close, you go like into a different realm, like so, so many of these things. At the end of the day, I just ended up just sitting at the back of the boat. And towards the end of the journey, mind you, 11 months of being, you're sync with the rhythm of the ocean. So now... It's, it's a feeling I would love to go back to, but I would just cry every single day and like feeling this ultimate bliss, peace, interconnectedness, um, gratitude, feeling one with nature you're meditating so I would meditate for an hour a day and I was like wow. and I was like never again will I live my life I wrote out my journal I will never stop meditating in my life six months later <laughs> In the city. I was like, wow, this is really hard. So what happened? So I was going through a difficult time. So I said to myself, like, I was meditating, like, from some YouTube video and just got me really addicted. But I still was contained. I was still, like, had that, like, somewhat of, a, like, the cleansing from the sailing trip. So the first six months from the sailing trip, I was just, like, the thoughts were here they were not here they were just like here and I was just like oh no I'm not engaging that one. It was amazing and then it over time it just got worse and worse and worse and a lot of the things that were working for me back on the boat just it was impossible for me to go back to that moment but I had a reference point I knew how good it can feel mm -hmm. and so it's been it's a like lot doing of psychedelics it's like you can yeah. taste it you know the window you know it's possible but it's hard yeah. to get back to it yeah without it's literally it. like yeah. taking molly no that i don't know okay i don't know anything about that <laughs> no never molly also known as mdma also known as ecstasy we can talk but, about it later yeah. okay but definitely not that <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i basically uh you know spent a lot of money on a tm meditation and they were like twice a day for 20 minutes and it has to be that way if it's not that way don't even bother and so that made me meditate even less because mm, it was so rigid yeah and so tm also known as transcendental yep. meditation you know organization has taught millions of people to meditate for the folks who don't know but it felt a little rigid for you i mean it just made me not meditate actually and mm -hmm. so i stopped meditating because i was feeling like i'm not doing it right 
And so I didn't have the exact 20 minutes and, you know, just like the whole idea that you can maybe damage your brain if you're coming out of it too quickly or too rigidly and whatever, like scared me almost for meditation. So I stopped doing it, but I really, really missed it. And so I would have that relationship with the meditation of like, I don't know, I was on holiday, so I'm just sit down for five minutes and it just kind of like really missed it. It's kind of that feeling of like, you know, it's there. I just didn't know how to get there anymore. Mm. And so during uh, the pandemic, my friend Masha was like, she was like, I'm meditating. I'm like, you meditate during a pandemic? I'm like, I just cannot bring myself to like quiet my thoughts. I was really a mess. I was constantly on my phone, like checking news. And so she was like, yeah, I'm doing it with Ziva. So I was like, saw your face. I was like, I want, I want to be like her. This one? Yes. Uh And I was like, cause you had like, you was the you were the embodiment and I remember when I asked my coach I was like I want to inspire women like how do I inspire women and and she's like you don't Aggie you live your best life and they they see a sparkle in your eyes that you're you're already there and that's their roadmap Mm. and so I think that's what you do with Ziva like people see that you're already there and the roadmap is in your eyes literally Mm. uh and so started meditating with you and was immediately that feeling that I felt when I was sailing. And I was like, wow, like I'm there. Wait, it brought you back to that yeah. same, like, feeling in tune with nature, feeling Well, because it's like this dropping into my body and I, that, you know, the, the trifecta is like super, super important, right? Because it's like- The trifecta the, of mindfulness, yeah, yeah. meditation and manifesting. Okay. Yeah, for those who don't know, it's even very hard. <laughs> there might be someone out there who hasn't done the training yet. All right. So. Yeah. So, yeah. So like, first of all, dropping into the body was really helpful for me because it was just like for a very busy mind, I just can't just sit there and, you know, get myself in. And so- just the whole idea of like getting better at life um, instead of getting better at meditation, which obviously what's that's what TM made me not want to do is because I was, I was saying I'm doing it wrong, right? Mm. And so you gave me that permission. And ever since then, I meditate twice a day. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I have, can I sneak in a cheeky third one? Sometimes oh, I really need it. A cheeky third? Yeah, a cheeky third. I like that. Because sometimes when it's like, oh, the first one was like quite busy. And I was like, oh, just like a 10 minutes. And it's not even as much as my meditation it's just like sitting still like how mm. often do we just like i just want to sit with myself just be yeah and i think for people who don't have training or don't have a visceral experience of that that would feel like torture right? mm-hmm. it's like what our parents used to do to us when we were little like go to time out go be with yourself or if we're That's not so true facing our fears right and then like sitting with yourself is actually a hell or a nightmare and so I just, for anyone who's like not, who can't imagine that sitting yourself is be something that you would crave, right? Mm-hmm. And actually want to do more of it, that just know that it is possible. And it just it takes like a little bit of training and a little bit of tools that's designed for you and not yeah. a monk, or maybe just a teacher that you resonate yeah. with and you see that sparkle of recognition in their eyes. It, it's so beautiful. And I love what you just said. Uh, uh-huh. Question for you. Isn't that mm. funny that... As parents, you program our children that time by yourself is a punishment instead of like, and then a reward is food. And then we wonder why people struggle with eating disorders or overeating or binge eating or emotional eating yet, you know, why don't we flip it? What if it's like, oh my God, you've been so good today. Why don't you just sit in a corner and hang out with yourself? Enjoy yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's like, as a punishment, I'm going to give you a really shitty fast food. It's going to make you feel terrible about yourself and your body. Aggie, this is genius. Right? I'm I'm like willing to try this experiment. Really? Are yeah. you going to experiment on your son? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I'll, I'll report Because it's back. really how you, pro- like, it's really like an LP, right? Right. Because it's like, you see that like, oh, I ate the Twinkie. I feel terrible. Right. Enough times. Then, then they, like, it's, it's actually a whole school of parenting. That's like intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic motivation. Mm. And so it's like, yeah, let them eat the Skittles. Let them eat the Twinkies. Like they will start, they will see that it makes them feel sick and they will intrinsically stop. Versus like if you're monitoring it all the time, then like, oh, there's some external boundary. I'm listening to someone else. And definitely about being with yourself. If that, if like private time, quiet time, alone time was a reward, like, how would that change our paradigm? I know. It was, like, the biggest punishment. My grandma, um, rest in peace, her punishment for me was to sit in a corner first and then read a book 
or out loud. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, I cannot think of anything more miserable than sitting and just reading out loud. And now it's like your dream. Now it's and like now it's my guilty dream. pleasure. I'm like, wait, <laughs> sit in a corner with my book and read to myself whatever I want. Amazing. But it also comes down to like, parents make you read books that you don't give a shit about. Like, yeah. and you're just not interested. Like, instead of like, what do you want to read? And then people have terrible relationship with reading. Well, the re other thing that's happening with the timeout piece is like, then you feel abandoned, right? Like here I am, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling fe afraid or sad or angry or some sort of big feeling. And now instead of someone sitting with me and like teaching me that it's okay mm. to feel this, I've now been abandoned. I'm given no training on how to deal with this. And then we wonder why everyone's not facing their fears, right? It was like, well, we were never taught. It'd be like my four-year-old son, like, hey, go go dunk that basketball with no yeah. training. You're not tall enough. You don't actually have the <laughs> mental or physical capabilities yeah. to do that, but I'm expecting you to do that. And oh, when you're upset when you can't, I'm not going to give you any compassion or teach you how to do it. I'm just going to leave yeah, you alone. Yeah, I'm going to say, see, see, like, do you see what you did there? Yeah. Like, it's just really, really mean. Instead, yeah. I'd be like, hey, like, okay, you're feeling overwhelmed. Why don't we just sit down, like do some breath work? Mm. And then- I mean, I have tried that. My son is like, you can take your breath work and shove it right up your ass. Oh, really? <laughs> I really try. What I try to do now is like, just make wind. I was like, make really strong wind in my hand. I'm like, Whoo. Oh, that's I'm like, great make idea. soft wind. But what I do do regardless, because I can't make him do the mm -hmm. breath work because I think he knows that I want it too bad. Mm -hmm. But what I do is I just, I get on his level, I make eye contact and I sports cast. Right? This is like a thing of rye parenting. We're like, oh, like you you fell down. Your knee's bleeding. You're crying. How does it feel? So you just say the thing that happened, right? Oh, like interesting. You got sent home from school. Your your friends were bullying you. Um, like, how does it feel? So you say the thing on their level, eye contact, sports cast, and then ask them how they're feeling. And I will preach this from the rooftops. The thing that I am on such a soapbox about is that we have to stop telling our kids that they're okay. They fall down like, you're okay. You're okay. I know your friend lied to you, but like, you're okay. You're okay. You're okay. And they're not. Yeah, it's okay not to be okay. Yeah, it's okay not to be okay. They're afraid. They're sad. Yeah. They're angry. We say that to them because we want them to be okay because it makes us uncomfortable because yeah. we don't know how to feel our feelings. Yeah. So it's like, can we regulate our own emotions and then sit with them? Like literally hold space for them when they're in that intense experience. Oh, so, so beautiful. Anyway. It's so funny because it reminds me of uh, FBI negotiator uh, Chris Voss and he calls oh. it labeling. So one of the ways of like getting people to really calm down is actually just label their emotions for them. Like, how would that work in the negotiation? Like, um, basically, like, yeah, it sounds, it looks like, or it seems like uh, you're stressed or you're hurting, or it seems like to me that you said, and then it, apparently it immediately comes down your nervous system. Yeah, because we all just want to be the seen emotions. and heard. Yeah, and you just want to name the emotion that you're feeling. Yeah. So the moment you name it, it actually, like, relaxes your nervous system yeah. it's crazy to think versus like go in the room and deny what is it's like no yeah, let's you're love fine. what yeah. is which I love you said that about the fear too you're like mm. oh little Aggie is with me afraid little girl Aggie is right here with me but I have a lot of empathy for her I'm loving her yeah right and then it's like it's not conquering it's actually like loving and, and including her in the experience yeah and i i you know it's it's quite a common practice but i always recommend it to to you know in my higher self academy print a photo of yourself when you feel like a little badass you still have that sparkle in your eyes and put in a bathroom you know um mirror and just like talk to yourself talk to your your like a self. little you or yeah, like a current you no 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 like the five-year-old you yeah. the one that hasn't been brainwashed by the system yet mm -hmm. and she's still like like she feels like she was born to do the great shit and then like then she stops like actually questioning it but i think when we're young we still believe we we are born to believe that you know we're here to do the big things and over time it's just like oh maybe not maybe not all other people can do it better or whatever it might be yeah right or like i'm not talented enough whatever enough i can come up with and so having the photo of a five-year-old self in the bathroom and so it actually came to me during my ayahuasca journey as well recently so for just anyone who doesn't know, ayahuasca is a sacred plant medicine, Listen. like a lot of different indigenous cultures. And a lot of people will sit, this is called like sitting with ayahuasca, yeah. but really usually lying down. Yeah. Uh, it can be a really powerful psychoactive journey. Oftentimes there's purging that involves like emotional and spiritual purging. But then depending on 
what you need in that moment? Is it guidance? Is it yeah. some sort of an exorcism? <laughs> is it some sort of a healing? Um, but it can provide different medicine to yeah, different people. They say people. it's the connecting to the DNA of the planet, to the wisdom of the planet. Mm. And so it does feel like you're talking to a consciousness. Mm. And so it has been such a big part of my healing journey. Um, and so it was less than 10 years, uh, 10 days ago, actually. Really? When you I sat, sat 10 days ago? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's oh, so fresh and but was looking the, so fresh. Right? <laughs> I, mean, just, I feel it like works. it takes a while to like crawl yourself out of that <laughs> intensity. I, 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 but I cried nonstop for two days. And so a couple of beautiful things that came up. Number one, uh, she told me why I'm so sad, right? So going through a breakup, I thought that that's the reason. But she basically showed me every single moment in my life where I didn't allow myself to be sad. And it came up and it made me cry even more and more. And it was like from the moment I was seven years old and we got a phone call. I still remember. So I'm lying in bed. It's 10 p.m. I'm seven years old. And the phone call calls. And, you know, it's like scary. Like you're in bed. And we had a super small apartment in Poland. And my mom picks up and she screams, no, no, please, no. So like and she got a call that her mom died. Mm. And so... I went straight into that moment of being seven-year-old, being terrified, hearing your own mother in so much pain and not knowing what to do. And like, you didn't know, should I come out of the room? Like, I just could, I, I will remember the sound forever, right? Like that really like deep despair and grief. And so I then felt my mom's pain and despair and not having any tools to deal with such mm -hmm. a big loss so suddenly. And... I would see every single moment in my life where I didn't allow myself to be sad because, mm. you know, I woke up the next morning and I just saw my mom crying in the kitchen and I just didn't, I was like numb. I just didn't know. Like I didn't really cry about grandma. I was just sad to see my mom so sad, but I didn't cry. And so it was like moment after moment, all the moments I didn't allow myself to cry and how it's all stored in my body. Oof. And I really cried <laughs> that weekend. Wow, but the second good for you. I mean, talk it, about facing your fears, right? Yeah. Like, that was, mm -hmm. I mean, ayahuasca is one of the biggest, like the most stressful, most terrifying things you can ever do because it's just like here, right? So that's like way harder than jumping out of a plane for me. <laughs> but I actually saw a reflection of myself. So imagine you can do that same for the same exercise for yourself. Imagine that you see a reflection of yourself in the mirror when you were three years old, do you remember the bathroom that you grew up in? Mm -hmm. Do you remember what's on the uh, cabinet, like counter, mm -hmm. like on the sink? Mm -hmm. Mustard what's yellow, dark chocolate wood, Perfect. yellow linoleum. So what are you wearing? You just, you're brushing your teeth. You're about to go to bed. Mm -hmm. And you, do you can you remember the toothbrush, like the little ones, maybe something cute, like a dinosaur or something. And you're brushing mm -hmm. your teeth. You mm -hmm. see yourself in the mirror. You're five years old. Mm -hmm. What are you thinking? And I remember thinking like, wow, like, like just like seeing myself for who I was really. And then I saw myself when I was nine years old and then 12 years old. And it was the same bathroom or was it slightly different? My parents renovated the bathroom was slightly different. And I look in the mirror and I go, oh my God, not the pimples. My nose is too wide. And that's how it started. And so I saw myself when I was 16 years old and 20, 21 in every single apartment I lived in and every single like moment of my life whether it's a public bathroom somewhere in Japan to my apartment in LA, like the very first one. And I remember every time I looked in the mirror, I was like, oh, I look tired. Oh, I look swollen. Oh, uh, you know, like I don't like my brows, whatever it might be. And the disappointment in the girl, the same girl that was there when mm. she was five years old, would be like, yo, but I just love you. And I want to say, hi, this is our chance to like say hello. And my first reaction is like, oh, you're not what I want you to be because you don't fit to this society's expectation of, you know, what I think I'm supposed to look like, even though like everyone has this like body dysmorphia to some extent. And so I realized that I was like, wow, like no more. Like I am beautiful because I'm myself and the definition mm. of beautiful isn't to be proportional or like having high cheekbones and oh, you're so great. <laughs> I look amazing. Uh, and beautiful eyes, whatever it might be. The definition of beautiful is 
looking like yourself because no one else looks like yourself unless you have a twin. I apologize if that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> but even then, I have even identical then, yeah. friends and they look different to me. Yeah, now. they do. And they seem different. Mm-hmm. So their souls are different. Yeah. Like, um, I had a teacher once that said that your body is like a baseball glove and the soul is the hand. And so the hand actually shapes the baseball gloves. So it's like your oh. soul is shaping your body. Which is very true when you see twins, how different they feel right yeah. away. You're like, technically they're the same, but actually... They're not. And so, so this is all happening in Aya where you were yeah. like, oh, every time you looked in the mirror and you would criticize yourself, you saw like little five-year-old Aggie being like disappointed yeah. that she was like not living up to some external uh, socialization. Yeah. Or- and that little girl in the mirror didn't get it. She was like, but like, I thought we were, we're friends for life. Like yeah. we're still the same people that you loved when you look in the mirror when you were five years old. And I was like, obviously I was like, oh shit. Like I cried even more. And you know, that. I was, I was like, fuck, I feel so bad. And I'm like, I kind of want to change it. And I was like forgiving myself and actually say, I forgive you. I mm. forgive myself for every single moment. Like that was really hard because it actually came, it didn't come easy to say, I forgive you. Mm. You know, it actually was much harder than I thought it would be because yeah. I, I was like really beating myself up for it. And so now I printed the photo of myself when I was five years old, mm. pasted in the bathroom uh, mirror. And I'm like, yeah, that's the girl. We're doing it. And I just yeah. have this like wink uh, and a little smile and just remember like, fuck, I am myself. Like what a gift. Like you got that human. So like it's amazing. And any sort of swelling or anything that you don't love about yourself. Right. So like passion for biohacking. Right. So I went from somebody who had great skin to like you know, just full of pimples, like hair being lost in patches, put a lot of weight. And so I realized that I'm not my symptoms. They're just like biofeedback. There's feedback. This is the way how your body communicates. Your body's something's, getting your attention. Yeah. It's like, Hey, something's up. Like just listen instead of yeah. like getting upset and thinking like I am my symptoms. So yeah. and judging them or criticizing them. One thing I just want to really celebrate this and underline that like, thank you for doing this exercise. Thank you for having the bravery to go Um, into the ceremony. Thank you for acknowledging little Aggie and then for then teaching this of like put the the photo up. So according to the Vedas, so Veda, V-E-D-A, Sanskrit word that means knowledge, like knowledge of what? Knowledge of nature, Mm. right? So like nature is moving in these beautiful ways. And the Vedas are basically a human interpretation of natural law. And there is this idea in the Vedas, and I say the most foundational concept is that there's only one thing and we're all it. Like that is the thing that everything else is built on inside of the Vedas. And if that's true, then there is really no like external higher self or there is no angel. There is no God outside of you or Mm. goddess outside of you. It's all an extension of you, right? It's Mm. all capital S self. And that includes little Aggie and that includes future Aggie. And so the other cool thing is that time can happen horizontally, but it can also happen vertically. And so especially when you're in these meditation states, right, you're transcending the realm of thinking. So you're transcending the realm of time because time is a function of thought. So Mm. instead of time happening separately, past, present, future on this horizontal plane, when we meditate and we access these different states of consciousness, we can move it vertically. So you, Aggie, right now, putting that picture of five-year-old Aggie, you're actually turning that time vertical and you're going and visiting her. Every single time you look at that photo, you get to visit little Aggie and you are changing her state of consciousness, which then changes your state of consciousness in the now because if you up level five-year-old Aggie like it interstellar you right now it's yeah. total interstellar and then it creates this upward spiral until there's something called a Rashi where there's this like huge surge in consciousness where your surge in consciousness now and the surge in consciousness from little Aggie and future Aggie all meet in the same place oh and my god that's so cool moment. Wow. Yeah, so it seems simple of like loving five-year-old Aggie. It's a big deal. And you can even see that anytime you feel like guidance or anytime you just felt protected, like on that boat, nature just wanted me to survive. Mm-hmm. I just, they, she yeah. wanted me to live. What if that was future Aggie, like going back to Aggie wow. on that boat and she was Ew. protecting you, right? So And so even if you don't like the word angels or you don't like the word like gods or goddesses, it's like, what if it's just future you coming back mm. to lift you up and to give you the medicine that you need in this moment? Wow. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So, so good. good. I think we can we can end right now. <laughs> this is like this was it. <laughs> well, I'm wondering, is there anything else that you want to share? Is there anything else that you wish that I had asked you? I'm new at this whole podcasting thing. No, you're so crushing. Teach me. <laughs> no, honestly. And I think it's just like your presence and everything that you're working on is is such a pleasure. Pleasure. Mm. Love that word. Um 
and an honor to witness. And thank you for giving women permission mm. to be who the hell they want to be and, yeah. and they're capable of. And it's just I'm so grateful to be here mm. and to witness your growth and just to giving me the space to share my story in the way I just did. I think it hasn't been shared like that before. And I think it just is a testament to how good of a interviewer you are. So Ooh, thank you. Thank you. I do have one final question that just came yeah. up is that I know you started studying Tantra in 2018 mm-hmm. and Tantra, you know, and honestly, like even though nature has been giving me all of these tools and, and ideas, I still haven't like, technically studied tantra so i should be super transparent about mm-hmm. that most of my transmissions have been organic or from friends and mm-hmm. um i love the word organic yeah like they're just happening sort of spontaneously yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> i just had a vision of i just had an organic um an organic orgasm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which i mean you know is grass-fed like organic <laughs> porn induced vibrator induced yeah. orgasm is different than like one where you are like cultivating your own energy and transmuting it's your like own energy and Erwan, bringing it through the whole body yeah Erwan orgasm basically <laughs> orgasm Don't certified worry. i definitely spent four well i'm not even gonna say that but like i <laughs> but you know, i know I'm too late you, now yeah. i spent a lot of money at Erwan <laughs> last night it was, it was terrifying and also thrilling um so i would just like to know so tantra my understanding of tantra is that it's you cultivating your own life force you cultivating mm-hmm. your own energy and then being able to circulate it through your body so that you can use this this creation energy the sexual energy in ways other than just for sex. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm curious what inspired you to start that journey and then how has that impacted who you are today? Oh, well, beautiful question. I definitely can't be, you know, a thought leader on Tantra. It was just basically, uh, was also my journey through Tantra was quite organic through my partner at the time. And so he, it was really beautiful because I had this preconceived idea of what's possible in sex and so when we met he's like have you ever had a two-hour orgasm have you had 17 orgasm I'm like no weird and he's like no like stop judging so we went really deep into like um just seeing like what's possible for me right and it's like holding space and he definitely didn't have ego of like oh, I want to make her come or whatever that is. It was just more for like, let's see what's possible for you. Yeah, and let's that play, was a, let's yeah, experiment, yeah. let's be with each other in the now. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that was really, that really inspired me to read more about Tantra. And I think like when you go to like the hardcore Tantra teachings, um, a lot of them don't really resonate with me. They're like just not relatable for uh, for the practices um, that, I'm interested in and I think what for example yourself or Leila Martin or Mama Gina are doing is basically translating the tantra and kind of what you did with Ziva just like like tantras for like I would like what meditations for the monks is like how do you translate tantra and bring it into the city for people that don't really have you know because like I think one of the weeks to go into the jungle yeah or and it's I think like one of the sex with 10 people on a retreat or something like that yeah and mm-hmm. they say like oh you know like with tantra is like a big part of it's like you start with a a, a non-arousal right which is like beautiful but also sometimes it's not always um i'm not gonna get into too much detail but it is definitely like um what's the <laughs> sorry i forgot the word <laughs> that's not good um What's the synonym for? Like, what's no? What's I'm like, the, I don't want to use like a rude word, but uh, when <laughs> the guy isn't aroused, it's like when, flaccid. Yeah, when like, he's flaccid. Like, okay. So that's when you like in tantra, you start when he's not aroused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm like, I'm like, you got so basically, so you start penetration while oh, you penetrate flaccid. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, you. So that's how you start, and then mm-hmm. you arouse. And the very fact that you're inside a woman, like, gets you excited. Okay, so, okay, not to bring everything back to the Vedas, but here goes. So there's this, um, there's this Yoni Lingam, like, like there's a Shiva Shakti, like, temples all over mm-hmm. India. And it's this, like, beautiful, it looks like almost like a lamp. And then there's this thing that looks like a phallus in the middle of it. And it's basically representative of, of Shiva and Shakti, the masculine mm-hmm. and the feminine, which is inside of all of us. But the idea is that without the feminine, that there is no phallus, right? Like Very it, it true. actually, like you, you, it is the walls, it is the banks of the river Beautiful. that creates that um, like surge, that creates that arousal. And again, like to take this out of cisgender, to take this out of, you know, heterosexuality or heteronormative, it's like we have those masculine and feminine polarities inside mm. of all of us. And to, to start from a place of non arousal, to start from just neutral. 
right? Like yeah. even zero. I'm like my boyfriend and I, we have a saying of like, what's your level of charge right now? So like if he's at an eight and I'm at a negative two, no judgment, but how do we find Beautiful. each other in that? And how do we have practices to modulate um, versus like having some sort of shame or story or I should be something or you should be something else. So. And I think it's like, yeah, just like come, that's like literally the key to like a successful sexual life, just having good communication that your partner's arousal is has nothing to do with your sexual like skills mm. and, and they could just be having a bad day or need yeah. some magnesium or something yeah and we take every, <laughs> we take everything so personally and so it's like the most beautiful reminder that it isn't about us it's you know you're like together in it yeah so beautiful that's it oh. yeah thank you for enlightening us on why isn't everyone facing their fears to giving us that that window into the sweetness that you taste after you pull that parachute the, the, how much sweeter the freedom is once you've actually walked through the fire of the fear so thank Beautiful. you thank you thank you i love you i'm so inspired by you and i want to thank you for joining us please if you haven't yet like follow subscribe and if you're curious for more goodness you can go to zivameditation.com slash why this so aggie where can people find you uh, so you can find me on Instagram at Aggie, um, but also A-G-G-I-E. A-G-G-I-E, also at Higher Self Academy. Um, that's where all my courses, biohacking, you know, self-growth, whatever you can, um, whatever you need, it's there. And mm-hmm. also my podcast, Biohacking Bestie. Biohacking Bestie. Yeah. I may or may not be a guest on it. <laughs> we might be on the same set wearing these same outfits. Maybe. <laughs> Just maybe. You'll have to see. <laughs> right, well, I love you. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.